Welcome back to Plastic Surgery Decoded, the podcast where we demystify plastic surgery and provide a foundation for understanding it, whether you're actually considering a procedure or you're just curious. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Regina Newhan, and in this season number four, you'll find a new approach, including interviews and covering a wide variety of subjects. But after you listen to this episode, I encourage you to go back and really explore the previous seasons as they are full of valuable information. You get to pick and choose what to learn about next. Season one covers common aesthetic or cosmetic surgery topics and skincare, while season two explains reconstructive surgery topics. Then season three goes over general questions about plastic surgery. Remember that this podcast reflects my experience and opinion, as well as those of any guest interviewed. It is not intended to provide medical advice, nor is it a substitute for a formal consultation with your physician. So stay tuned for this interesting journey we'll take together in the ever-expanding world of plastic surgery. Let's go. Rejuvenation of the ear? What does that mean? Or why might it be necessary? Well, the ear is one of those components of our appearance that is perhaps neglected for attention unless there's something unusual about it, which makes it noticeable. And then a person can feel quite self-conscious, possibly wishing to seek out assistance. Things like ears that stick out too far, or earlobes that have been torn or stretched, whether by earrings or gauges. And I bet you didn't realize that ears can show age just like the rest of our face can, in terms of skin texture or growing length of the lobes. So actually, Restorative treatments for this little part of our facial anatomy can make such a difference for many. Since people do wonder about this issue, we have with us Dr. Azra Ashraf of Panache Plastic Surgery in Southern California to help answer some questions. Listen in as she explains what can be done to rejuvenate or reshape parts of the ear when needed. Here we go. Well, today we're speaking with Dr. Azra Ashraf, a board-certified plastic surgeon who's been involved in clinical research and also has her master's in public health from Harvard. She began her medical career in Washington, D.C., but has now relocated her private practice to Southern California. That's exciting. How did you end up in California? Well, I'm originally from Southern California, and I went out east to pursue my education, and then life happens. I met a guy, got married, had a child. And then unfortunately, last year, I lost my father. And that made me stop in my tracks and really reflect on what it is that I wanted and what I was doing. So I was six years into my practice. So I was kind of on the upswing of things. Yeah. And I gave my notice, closed everything down, moved home. And I'm in the process of starting all over again. Yeah. <laughs> we just had our grand opening. Congratulations. So, well, that's a hard you. thing to weather. And I'm so sorry about your father. Um, yeah. But how nice to have a little bit of a homecoming too. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, let's start by just hearing a little bit about your practice. What type of patients or cases do you focus on primarily? So I am fellowship trained in breast and breast reconstruction. And do you do a fair amount of aesthetic surgery in general? Uh, I do. I do. Currently in the Southern California region, I'm um, almost all aesthetic. Wow. So that is my focus currently. Well, I bet the market there is pretty incredible as well. So good It you. is. It is. There's a lot of us as well. <laughs> yeah, of course. 
Well, you know, you do have a broad practice, but today we're really focusing down on a part of the body that doesn't get much attention. Yet sometimes people feel very self-conscious about it. And we're talking about various types of ear rejuvenation. And that could include treating ears that stick out or what we call prominent ears or earlobes that are stretched from piercings or gauges, um, ears that need repair of tears from earrings, uh, and of course, earlobes that have lengthened with age. So let's kind of break that down individually, starting with prominent ears. You know, if ears stick out, no matter what hairstyle you use, male or female, it's hard to hide them. Just for the listeners, what is the anatomic problem with prominent ears? What's happening? So yeah, with prominent ears, there's uh, usually uh, two issues. Um, either the upper portion of the ear, the natural folding called the anti-helix, the top convolution is effaced. It's flattened out, it's not present. Mm -hmm. Or the conchal bowl, the deep area which connects to our middle ear is uh, quite large. And so those contribute to our ears uh, sticking out and becoming prominent. So basically, the cartilage of the ear has these natural folds. And sometimes if they're not there, or they're formed improperly, then those ears can stick out is what I'm hearing you say. Exactly, that's correct. So how do you fix that? What is an otoplasty or what some people call ear pinning? So for the folding or the top convolution, an incision is made in the back and the cartilage is exposed and it's what we call scored or weakened. So it can be bent on itself and sutures are placed, usually uh, permanent sutures that last a lifetime and that fold is recreated. Oh, that's great. So you can kind of bring that prominent part of the ear, the part that's sticking out back in towards the head. And because of those internal stitches that stay there forever, that cartilage will stay in its new position. Exactly. During what age group is it most ideal to do this procedure? Does it make a difference if you do it when someone's very young or when they're an adult? Yes. So 85% of the ear is developed by age three. And then by age 10, how set back it is doesn't change. The vertical height of the ear does increase into uh, adulthood. Mm. Early on when a baby is born, their cartilage is very malleable and soft. So if there's mild prominence, that can be addressed with conservative measures such as you might have heard of the ear well. What's an ear well? It's an external device that pins the ear back and it's worn for about six weeks and remolds the ear back into its anatomic position. And then usually age six is when children become self-aware. Uh, yeah. And of course, it sounds like it pays to be very young because our tissues are so pliable and malleable that we can do a lot with them when they're younger. But not so much when we're adults. Um, it's a little harder to do as an adult. Usually the cartilage is a little more stiff and it's higher risk of what we call warping or coming back to its prominent position. So relapse can be increased. It's nice to have that option to still do something if you were not able to do something as a child and as an adult you do decide that you want to do that. Exactly. And if you were going to do that, 
where would you have the procedure done? Is this an office procedure or under anesthesia in a surgery center? I find it's best in a surgery center or hospital operating room. It's not an inpatient procedure. It's a same-day surgery. If you had an adult and they really wanted to do it in the office, is it a possibility? These days, you know, we're doing facelifts under uh, oral medication and uh, in the office. So I think for the right patient, definitely. That makes sense. And then what about the recovery? What do people expect afterwards? Are there restrictions and how long might it take to heal? I always say four to six weeks. Initially, I place a bulky dressing so there's no trauma to the ear, so those sutures aren't broken. Uh, patients have to be careful how they sleep, the position they sleep in, if they're a side sleeper. Oh, yeah. um, also, um, after one week when we remove the uh, external dressing, mm-hmm. um, I do like my patients to wear some sort of device or band that will help reinforce and keep that ear held back while the natural healing process is occurring. Excellent. Of course, there aren't that many people in our population who need that procedure, but the ones who do are usually quite grateful that there is this type of surgery that can be done to kind of help change how the world sees them and how they see themselves. Exactly, yes. I find the ears to be fascinating, and no one ever focuses on the ears unless there's something wrong with them. Yes, that's exactly right. (laughs) Let's talk about earlobes now. What about a split or what we call cleft earlobe? How might that be caused, first of all? In some patients, it can be congenital. These are very young patients. But most patients, commonly, it's some sort of trauma, heavy earrings. Yes. Or even small earrings, which become uh, adhered to something, and then it rips. Horrible thought, but but it happens more commonly than people would think. Right. Uh, So then how do you go about repairing that? What do you do? So this is an office procedure. I use local Mm -hmm. anesthesia, uh, numb up the area where it's split. um, And it also depends on the time frame since the injury. Usually if it's within 24 hours or 48 hours, we can repair it right away. It hasn't what we call re-epithelialized, meaning the external skin grown in and healed as two separate parts. Yeah, so you could just like stitch it right back up basically, if it happens and you catch it right away. Right, exactly. But what about if it's healed over and they come in and they've got this inverted V shape for an earlobe? What do you do? So I will remove that healed skin in that upside down V Uh and then put a few internal sutures in to approximate or reattach those two sides together and then Mm -hmm. put some outside or external sutures in, which are usually very fine sutures that need to come out about uh, five to seven days later. When patients come back, we remove the sutures. Um, I will often put strips to reinforce the healing. And I just request that they get their ear pierced. And, and sometimes I even do it three months later, but not in the same scar because the scar is only 80% as strong as the native natural tissue. I think that's a really good point because, you know, people do have a tendency to have a favorite little spot where they want their ear pierced. Mm -hmm. And if you go right back through that area that has been repaired, as you say, it is weaker and more likely to just tear through again. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's a tricky problem. And, you know, when I would do these back in my practice, I would do a little bit of what I'll call tissue rearrangement right at the 
margin or the uh, edge of the earlobe to try to prevent notching of the scar. You know, sometimes our scars contract as they heal, and you don't want to go through this repair of the earlobe and try to get this nice contour of the edge of the earlobe and then find after it heals, there's a little notch right there where the scar is contracted. Do you do that as well in your practice? Do you try to rearrange the tissue a little bit there? Yeah, I do. Uh, It really uh, depends on the nature of the split. Oftentimes what I also do is I'll start by first aligning the inferior most part, make sure that's perfectly aligned. That edge, yes, that's a good point. And then I work up anteriorly, then posteriorly. So usually that's how I approach it. Yeah. Well, now sometimes, you know, people have had either trauma to the ear, an injury or pulling of an earring or, you know, anything else, as we say, and it doesn't completely tear through. And so they have a stretched out ear pierce hole. Or sometimes people intentionally stretch it from gauging. You know, some people have used sequentially larger plugs or gauges in an ear piercing hole to intentionally stretch out the lobe for aesthetic reasons. And then they later decide, hey, they no, they no longer want this look. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could be a real challenge to figure out how to restore an ear whose lobe has been stretched out so much that really sometimes there's just a little thin rim of skin around the gauge. How do you go about repairing or reconstructing something like that? So in my practice, um, I dealt with quite a few keloids of the ear, which is a very similar sort of challenge in the sense that um, you have this abnormal tissue that you're excising, or in the situation you described, like very stretched out lobes. Um, A keloid is basically abnormally built up uh, scar tissue that um, can continue to grow over time. Often patients present because the aesthetics of it, they don't like how it looks, or uh, they're symptomatic, they're itchy, sometimes they burn, and, um, and they continue to grow. So quite a quite a challenge. Getting back to your original question, I always like to uh, address my problems by let's get to normal tissue first. So, yeah. so I'll excise anything that's abnormal. And then the stretch out earlobes are really a, a challenge. And really, you have to apply the principles of plastic surgery mm. in the sense that you now you're dealing with excess skin. If you just repair it, then you have a repaired longer lobe. Mm-hmm. So uh, you have to be more creative in terms of rearranging tissue you'll definitely end up excising quite a bit of that extra stretched out skin. And I never promise my patients that they'll have perfect ear lobes. Right. Or even the lobes they had prior to the earrings. So I find the not completely split and stretched out lobes to be much more challenging. I agree with you. Sometimes we call that procedure to sort of reconstruct it or repair it a lobuloplasty. But um, I agree with you. You really have to use a lot more creativity to come up with a way to create an earlobe sometimes. After a keloid is excised, you don't have a lot of tissue left and you have to reconstruct an earlobe. And from, you know, gauging or other stretch out issues, you've got too much tissue, (laughs) too much tissue, but it's in the wrong configuration and wrong place. And so that is a toughie. But that's the beauty of, you know, what we do as plastic surgeons, I think. And that's one of the reasons 
I know I was attracted to the field is that there can be these challenging problems and there's not exactly one answer, but you really have to use your own creativity and the knowledge you have, the tools, so to speak, of reconstruction and rejuvenation in order to create something better for the patient than what they started with. Yeah, it's it's an application of principles. You're taught these principles and then it's uh, principles with arts and crafts. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, shifting gears again, a lot of people I think don't realize that our ears age right along with our face, leaving either a crinkled or creased earlobe sometimes or an elongated earlobe just from continued stretch and growth. What can be done in those situations? So uh, it depends on how stretched out the lobe is. So if it's uh, something that's more of a minor problem, um, I like to inject uh, fillers like hyaluronic acid into the lobe. And that would serve the purpose of filling out a deflated earlobe or helping to get rid of some of those creases that might develop Pumping it up, yeah. So um, as we age in our face and lose collagen and elasticity, our earlobes continue to age. And and then you add the trauma of wearing heavier earrings. So we have to just keep in mind when we do a facelift, we want to match the face to the ears as well. So fillers are a great non-invasive option. Um, They do tend to last about a little bit longer than they do in the face because there's really no muscle in the lobe. So it's the fillers not degrading at the same rate as it is um, in the face. Obviously, if you're wearing heavy earrings, you know, that's all going to add to the longevity of the filler. That's a good point. Um, In terms of facelifts, if the earlobe is quite stretched out, then I recommend an excision where the earlobe is trimmed. There's various patterns you can do. I like to use what's called the star pattern. It's basically local tissue rearrangement, but it removes that excess skin and prevents um, a notch like you had stated um, previously. And then if the lobe is still deflated, you can always add a little filler as well to kind of plump it back up. I think a lot of plastic surgeons have seen patients who have undergone a facelift and then they've noticed afterwards, hey, now my earlobes just seem more prominent and they're so kind of long and stretched mm. out. You know, what do we do about that? And so it is nice to kind of just tack that on to a procedure that's already being done. And some patients will come in just de novo for that alone, just, you know, years of earring wearing or, you know, sometimes people who didn't wear earrings may come in and they just have this extra tissue there that uh, they don't like the look of. And so, as you say, using some specific techniques to trim away extra tissue and then rearranging that tissue so it comes together and looks like a nice earlobe is really a nice thing that a plastic surgeon can offer a patient. Uh, so I think that's that's great. You're full service. <laughs> Luckily, there's a lot of options. <laughs> Well, you know, we've kind of covered some good ground here. Are there some lasting thoughts you'd like to leave the listeners with about our subject today? Well, I think the ears are fascinating. Like I stated, there's so much reconstructive and cosmetic work we do as plastic surgeons, whether it's removing cancers and reconstructing them or genetic defects, such as you might have heard of the Spock year or the Stahl year. Uh, it's just such a fascinating area. And it's a part of the body where there's not a lot of tissue. So really challenges us as plastic surgeons. And we have to bring out all the principles and the armamentarium that's in our, our toolbox. 
And I think that's why it's so helpful to go to a board-certified plastic surgeon or facial plastic surgeon to seek treatment because of this creativity that is going to be required that someone else may not be trained in the same way to be able to provide a patient. Exactly. Um, The only other thing I wanted to add is for the otoplasty and the pediatric patients, Mm -hmm. sometimes their insurance will cover it for pediatrics. Ah. So for parents who may be concerned about this, um, it's worth looking into. I know for adults, it's always considered as a cosmetic procedure. Yeah, so self-pay. Yeah, for adults, but but sometimes for the kiddos. The other amazing thing is reconstructed ears, all the studies demonstrate they continue to grow with the patient into adulthood. So I find that really fascinating, too. That is fascinating, and I'm so glad you brought that up. So basically, even after repair, the ear will continue to grow in its new configuration. Yes. And that's the the best of all worlds, really. Exactly. Well, Dr. Ashraf, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us and taking some time to speak to the listeners about this interesting topic that really doesn't get enough press these days. So many other things overshadow it. And certainly, I wish you great luck in your new endeavors in Southern California. And uh, I'm sure we'll be hearing from you again. Thank you, Dr. Newhan. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Well, that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed it and learned something too. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Please share this podcast with someone else who might be interested. And while you're at it, check out the podcast website for related topics to explore. It's www.plasticsurgerydecoded.com. And as always, thank you for listening to Plastic Surgery Decoded.